Thanks, Charlie. Good morning, everyone. <laughs> um, Charlie's right. This reading today is quite long, and I'm quite excited actually about these parables because they're, they're a treasure trove. They really are. There's a lot to be gleaned from them. It does mean that we cover a lot this morning, so I hope you can stay with me. I've tried to condense it down, but if there is a bit, there are three words that I'm hoping that you will take away. If nothing else, these three words. One is discipline, two is relationship, and three is obedience. Discipline, relationship, and obedience. Okay, so Charlie spoke last week about being ready for Jesus' return. Today we're looking at what being ready might look like for us so that when Jesus does return, whenever that might be, we hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Our reading covers the three parables, the parable of the household, the parable of the ten bridesmaids or virgins, and the parable of the talents or the loaned money, the bags of gold. The themes that come through consistently in these parables are that we need to first be watchful for Jesus' return, second look after our own relationship with God, and third live in obedience to God and follow his call on our lives. We know from last week that Jesus will return. We know that there will be signs. What we don't know is when this will happen. No one knows, only the Father. Whenever Jesus comes, it will be a surprise. The key is to be ready for him to come at any moment. So are we ready? And if we, he were to come right now, would we expect to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant? None of us probably want to hear the alternative, you wicked lazy servant. So how can we be ready? In the first parable, the parable of the household, Jesus gives us a picture of a servant being wise or wicked. The wise servant remains ready for their master's return by faithfully following the master's instructions, while the wicked servant is destructive in how they treat others. Jesus says in verses 46 and 47 of chapter 24, the response to the wise servant will be good and that the master will put him in charge of all his possessions. The verdict on the wicked servant in verse 51, the master will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. If that isn't good motivation to go for the good and faithful, then I'm not sure what would be. So probably everyone here can remember a time when they were either left at home as teenagers or young adults while their parents were away, or alternatively, left your teenagers at home at some point, whether it's to go out for a day or away for a weekend or maybe a longer trip. Perhaps you parents left with great confidence that your teenagers were good and faithful children and that all would be well on your return and the house is neat as a pin. Or perhaps you left with a sense of fear and trepidation of what you might come home to. This is comparing and contrasting. And if you came back earlier than expected, what did you find? So a few readings that I've looked at for, the, for this parable suggested that the contrasting of the good and faithful servant and the disobedient servant is a reference to the broader church, the household of God. 
We need to remember that Jesus is speaking with the disciples here. He is the master looking to this group of men, his good and faithful servants, to lead his household, his church. They are to feed the household, the suggestion being that this food is spiritual, the word of God. Jesus himself says that the word of God is intended to feed the people of God. In chapter 4, verse 4, in both the Gospels, Matthew and Luke, Jesus says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. The word of God sustains us. Good and faithful servants will know the word of God intimately and follow its instruction diligently. Wicked servants do not. And there is also the suggestion that this faithful servant in the parable and the wicked servant are one and the same. How easy is it for us as Christians to neglect the word of God in the busyness of our daily lives? The servant running the household in the parable starts well, but he strays when the master is away a long time. He's complacent and his discipline slips. So we must remain watchful, not only for Jesus' return, but that we maintain our own preparations for that day. In the parable of the ten bridesmaids, we see a similar message, that we must maintain spiritual discipline while we wait for Jesus' return. And this parable gives us the tip. That wait might be longer than we expect. Jesus is characterised as the groom and he is later than expected, underlining again that we don't know when Jesus will return. As was the tradition at the time, the ten bridesmaids were waiting to join the wedding procession when the groom arrived with his bride and they hoped to take part in the wedding banquet. But when the groom didn't come at the expected time, five of the bridesmaids were running out of lamp oil. So there's a few things that we can take from this. First we note the original audience for Matthew's gospel was the Jewish community and it was still a difficult time for members of that community back then. This gospel was written only about 25 years or so after Jesus had been crucified, so Christians still weren't altogether popular. These Jewish Christians believed that the signs Jesus had spoken of and his return would all happen in their lifetime, that it could literally be at any moment. But Jesus is suggesting here that it might be longer than that. 2,000 years on, we definitely know that that was the case. But we've been told clearly that no one but the Father knows when Jesus returned and it still could be at any moment in our lifetime. So like the five wise bridesmaids, we must be prepared to wait for as long as it takes for Jesus to arrive. Our waiting as Christians is motivated by our faith that Jesus will return and is sustained by hope and readiness. I read a journal called The Christian Refuge that talked about the oil in this parable and suggested it's symbolic of whatever is life-giving in a life of faith that the oil is a personal relationship with God and whatever gives life to faith, which would be prayer, scripture, worship, repentance, acts of kindness and generally loving others, this is or should be our spiritual discipline. Jesus also refers to the light from the lamp in other gospels as good works 
fruitfulness, mercy, joy. The oil enables that light to shine, suggesting that the oil could be the Holy Spirit, the giver of life. And so the oil gives life to the flame of faith within us, our personal relationship with God. To run out of oil for a Christian is a tragedy. This journal also noted that in the Judeo-Christian faith, knowledge is not limited to head knowledge. To know someone or something was experiential. It was personal, intimate, relation, relate, excuse me, relational. Adam knew Eve. Knowledge implies a relationship of a deep personal nature. The five wise bridesmaids apparently understand this. So the message here is that our spiritual preparation for Jesus' return cannot be bought or borrowed at the last minute. Our relationship with God must be our own. The nature of this personal relationship means that when the five foolish bridesmaids asked the others to share their oil, they weren't able to do that. We as Christians can introduce others to Jesus by sharing the gospel message. And we should at every opportunity. But we ourselves cannot light someone else's lamp for them. Only the Holy Spirit can do this. And so when the five foolish bridesmaids try to enter the wedding banquet, they are told by the groom, I tell you the truth, I don't know you, and are shut out. It's a challenging question for any of us, but one we should ask. When the time comes... Will our relationship with Jesus be such that he knows us? Or is there a chance that we could be shut out? In the parable of, with the bags of gold, as in that translation, or the talents, we see that obedient stewards of all God has given us and stepping out in faith to follow God's call on our lives are the actions God expects of a good and faithful servant. While Jesus speaks about money in this parable, he also shows other elements of spiritual discipline and character. So we know that the master leaves one servant with five talents, bags of gold, the second with two, and the third with just one. The first two servants double the money they have. The third does much the same as hiding it under the mattress, really. The word talents is derived from talantum, which is translated as bags of gold. Biblical historians suggest that a talent was 15 to 20 times the amount of the average worker's annual earnings. So we're talking about a lot of money. This points to the incredible value of all that God gives us. Today, talents refers not only to bags of gold, but as Charlie said to the children, it's, it's financial resources, but it's also gifts, skills, time, energy, education, whatever we might have. Perhaps our greatest gift is the gift of life itself, made in the image of our Father. This parable teaches us we need to be obedient and faithful with whatever we've been given in our lives. We need to faithfully use these gifts and abilities to invest and grow God's kingdom. And the parable gives us some pointers for doing this. The first one would be take a risk. 
The first two servants could have lost their talents instead of doubling them. But they boldly step out in faith and they reap the reward for their master. And the master's reaction? You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. We also need to step out boldly and take risks. We might risk failure or having someone think less of us. It can be risky any time we share the gospel message with someone. For some Christians, it risks their lives to even be known as Christian. But good and faithful servants will overcome their fear, remain firm in their faith, and take the risk to help build God's kingdom. Second is the Lord will never give us any more than we can handle. The three servants each received different amounts of money according to their capability. And so we are to do the best we can with what we have and not be overwhelmed by the task that we're given. Third, act immediately. Verse 16 in chapter 25 tells us that the first servant went at once to put his money to work. He didn't wait until tomorrow or next week, and he didn't wait until he thought, gee, Master's been away for a while. I really better do something with those five talents in case he gets back soon. He went at once. He he obeyed his Master's direction immediately. Fourth, we take responsibility. The first and second servants took ownership of their responsibilities. In verses 20 and 22, again of chapter 25, they, they each say respectively, I have gained five more. I have gained two more. I have done this. They put in that effort and taken ownership. Jesus' point is that as his followers, we've been entrusted with much by our master. We've been given the good news of the kingdom and opportunities to use our gifts to not only share the good news but demonstrate the gospel in action by living it. If we obediently apply our gifts according to our master's call, whether that be contributing financially to projects that help others or pursuing a career in ministry or maybe a career as a carer of the sick, we are investing in God's kingdom while we wait for Jesus' return. Most of you will probably remember the tsunami that struck Japan in 2011, and a lot of you will also probably remember the horrific but compelling images that we could see on our television screens. It was from a helicopter, and you could just see this brown mass of water just consuming everything before it. Um, There was land and houses and cars and whole towns really just disappeared. I think it was in a Bible study at my previous church where I learned about a group of Christians from the United States who travelled to Japan after that event to help with rebuilding devastated lives and homes. They helped clean up and rebuild for people in some of the smaller, more remote rural communities that had been basically swept away by the tsunami. They used their own financial resources to cover the costs of getting to Japan and for their meals and accommodation while they were there. Some had building and construction skills, others just a willingness to learn new skills that would be helpful to the people in Japan at that time. All of them 
had a great desire to help, and all of them were obedient to God's call to go. The Japanese people asked why. Why would you spend your own money, leave your jobs and your homes, give your time freely and come to another country of strangers to do this? Their answer? Because we are Christians and this is what Christians are called to do. Through their efforts, a lot of homes were reconstructed and many people were able to directly experience the love of Jesus. Some chose to start their own walk with him as a result. This is the meaning of investing whatever you have been given as best you can in obedience to God and in building his kingdom. This is being a good and faithful servant while waiting for Jesus' return. So I spent a bit of time there looking at what a good and faithful servant might be. We need to look a little bit at the flip side. In each of the three parables, we've seen servants and bridesmaids who absolutely do not hear the words good and faithful servant. Instead, they all end up somewhere outside. The servant in the first parable is cut to pieces and assigned a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And just on a side note on that, Jesus refers in a number of verses to the Pharisees as hypocrites. That's throughout the Gospels. The religious leaders who believe themselves to be good and faithful servants. So perhaps there's a lesson about pride in there as well. And weeping and gnashing of teeth is a phrase used to describe despair. God's coming judgment is as certain as Jesus' return to earth and the hypocrites will be judged harshly. So the five foolish bridesmaids are shut out after the groom says he does not know them and the servant who buried his talent is thrown out, worthless, into the darkness where there is more weeping and gnashing of teeth. Any of these scenarios could relate to a Christian who is lukewarm in their faith. The servant in the first household knows that the master will return, as we know that Jesus will. And while he starts off well, he goes off the rails, beating other servants and spending time with drunkards. He's not watching for his master's return or obediently attending to the household, as he was told. Nor does his behaviour honour his master in any way. And so he is punished when the master returns. The five bridesmaids neglect their preparations for the arrival of the groom and they did not watch. They weren't ready and waiting when he arrived. When they asked to come in, the groom didn't know them and the door was shut. The servant with the one buried talent claims to be fearful of his master and was punished. He is afraid, so he tries to play it safe and is judged accordingly. His focus is on himself, not the kingdom. We mustn't make excuses to avoid doing what God calls us to do. If God is truly our master, we will obey willingly. Our time, abilities and money aren't ours in the first place. We are caretakers, not owners. When we ignore, squander or abuse what we're given, we're rebellious and deserve to be punished. And so the third servant's talent is taken from him and he is thrown out into the darkness. So we're all on a journey with this and 
some of these words can be confronting. My own shortcomings as a Christian have been laid before me as I've looked more deeply into these parables. We must remember that our hope is in Jesus. His sacrificial death that we share in through grace and his abiding power to transform us daily through the Holy Spirit make us righteous and holy in the sight of God. Our part is to do the best we can to be ready, to diligently prepare for Jesus' return by investing our time and our talents in service to God, building and nurturing a personal relationship with him and bearing fruit for his kingdom. That's discipline, relationship, obedience. Along the way, we will probably need to seek forgiveness a lot but we must keep trying and not give up. This season of Lent is a great time to reflect on this. It is our commitment to giving the best we can always and our attempts to put that into action, also where our heart is at, that will give us the best chance of hearing Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant, when the time comes. Amen.